Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Vaitistel Tetish, Hodjo Minister Elnuk, Urat Oz Elesigne Ud Verzolhete. Mojo Olsag Esh Oz Elesi Kosot, or Kopcholot Regota Alfen. George Soros, Hotvon Eva Tonutit, Mapedig Mojo Diak Servet Ukadik Oz Echteme. Tolan Ech Sermoid Nehanyuk Oyan. Vojo nos les minto. Noch erte clotesel variuk o ministerelnuk ur elotashat. That's all you have to do. Your, your predecessor, Prime Minister, had to suffer that uh, as well. So um, since we are even handed at the LSE, I felt you needed to have that, but thanks to the uh, Hungarian society uh, who always supplied me with this uh, version of a welcome in Hungarian. Uh, but if I might go back to English, we're delighted that you found time to pop in to see us while you're here in London. Uh, we know that you went to see uh, your namesake, the other Gordon, um, earlier on uh, today. And you've been into the city to meet investors in the uh, EBRD. And now it's very good that you're uh, here to talk to us. Uh, the Prime Minister's background is un unusual for a politician. He um, was an uh, investment banker. But if you read Wikipedia, uh, you'll find mainly uh, that he's a footballer. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, was chosen by his predecessor because they played football together, as far as uh, I can see. Um, whether you played um, in Honved with the famous Pushkas and the team of 1956, I think perhaps you're a bit younger than that. So, um, but we're very pleased that um, you're here. As I said, we did have your predecessor here a couple of years ago to talk to us about what was going on in Hungary. It's a particularly exciting time, I think, to learn about how the financial crisis is affecting Central Europe, and Hungary, of course, has particular issues at the heart of that. So we look forward to hearing from you, and we're also pleased you're going to take a few questions afterwards, which I guess could be in Hungarian, but probably better off in English. Um, so, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is appalling to have such a huge interest in such a small country as Hungary. But uh, uh, I thought, uh, because I see you are from all kinds of uh, jurisdictions, I would spend the first 50 minutes of this presentation on explaining you how the Hungarian tribes have come from behind the Euros and had a great <laughs> cultural impact on Europe. Uh, but probably you, I would be not very popular which is okay in Hungary, but in London I wouldn't like to risk that. Uh, so instead, in my description, I would only go back one year and uh, look at uh, why and what happened uh, to Hungary when the crisis hit Hungary and the crisis hit the world, and what is the way, what are the means and methods that we are trying to get out of trouble, like everybody else in the world. Because everybody in the world is trying to get out of trouble, but uh, I think this crisis has delivered a very 
tailor-made specific message to each country that it hit. Because this crisis is behaving like when in a cozy bar you are sitting and sub suddenly someone switches on the light, the headlight, and you see that that bar is actually not that nice. There are cracks on the wall and everybody's 20 years older than appeared. <laughs> and uh, this is what we have experienced. Uh, I think all countries have realized what are their specific problems. And this crisis has, is proving to be a very negative, uninvited guest who keeps revisiting those who do not understand its message for the first time. And uh, for my country, uh, I think the message was very clear. The message was that we are not only uh, in trouble because everybody else in the world, because of the global financial crisis and because of uh, the consequent real economic crisis, but we, Hungary has its own particular crisis, which didn't start in October last year, but much before. The crisis of postponed structural reforms. These reforms ca have been kept postponing, being postponed for the last 10 years at least in Hungary. And that has led Hungary to a loss of position in Central and Eastern Europe. In the 90s, uh, Hungary was the leader of the pack, the one of the leading countries in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, everybody was positive about us and Hungary w was operating at a high potential growth rate, very close to operating very close to its potential growth rate and that was one of the success stories of the region and of transformation. Now since uh, around the turn of the century Hungary has gradually lost its lead and, the, and a year ago everybody was writing about Hungary as being the laggard of the, re of the region. Why was that? Well there is a very important uh, political economy uh, lesson to learn from that I think in Hungary, a false compromise or negative consensus have been established between the leading political powers on both sides of the equation. They agreed, they realized that uh, in Hungary with 56% of the population working and uh, roughly 80% participating in elections, it will be those who decide the outcome of the elections who are living from state redistribution and state aid. And realizing that, they started to focus on increasing this redistribution and sending promises and delivering on those promises uh, to, to those who were not interested in sustaining the country's growth potential, but in, in uh, receiving more and more from the state. This has led Hungary by 2006 to a budget deficit of close to 10% of GDP, which is clearly unsustainable. The then government, my predecessor who was here, have started a program which has reduced this 10% uh, to roughly 3-3.5% three, by the end of last year. However, the bad reputation was there and the structural reforms still not pursued. So while budget was gradually correcting, gross potential was not put back on track. And the country with a high indebtedness and a low gross potential is a very risky investment for financial investors. Because how will you grow out of indebtedness if you cannot grow? That was the fundamental issue that Hungary had to address and would have had to address even 
without a crisis. But the crisis has switched the lights on in a very, very brutal way for Hungary a year ago, exactly a year ago in October last year. Um, so Hungary has immediately, well, certainly Hungarians have one strong comparative advantage uh, compared to every other nation in Europe. We are much more used to crisis management than anybody else. <laughs> And therefore, when we realize that crisis hit us, we immediately turned to the IMF and the European Commission and asked them to help us set a floor, set a, build a wall against uh, uh, the tsunami, the financial tsunami that was approaching our country. And we, we have been beneficiaries of that European and global solidarity. And uh, the IMF has again proven that uh, while in good times the IMF was uh, forgotten and uh, uh, cons considered by many as obsolete, the IMF has proven that uh, there is room uh, for, for its maneuvers and uh, the world keeps returning to those, cyclically to those situations when there is a great need for institutions like the IMF. Uh, at the time, many people said that Hungary is now sitting on the bench of shame because of turning to the IMF as an EU member. Now this bench is so crowded, we are almost <laughs> falling off. Um, but, uh, but I think Hungary did right to go to the IMF and block the first wave of the tsunami. Because if there is a tsunami, you try to hold on to something. You try to climb to a high tree to survive. Because if you get washed away, there is no need to think about the future. If you can survive the first wave of the tsunami, there is still a lot of things to do. There are ruins, there is uh, infection, there is a disaster, uh, there is chaos, but at least you can start uh, uh, cleaning, cleaning up. And this is what we have started to do. By January, February, and March this year, it became clear that the initial efforts that we consider to be enough to fight the crisis will not be enough. And despite the support from the IMF and, and the European Commission, despite the support of 20 billion euros. Uh, Hungary is still considered to be a very risky place. Hungary's uh, uh, sec other sec biggest risk was considered by the financial markets to be the high level of retail loans held in foreign currency by Hungarian retail individuals. Because uh, Many financial analysts considered that uh, if the fo Hungarian foreign continues to weaken against the euro and the Swiss francs, by the way, most of those loans were taken in Swiss francs, um, then people will not be able to repay. The non-performing loan ratios will grow up, uh, grow in, in the banks, and then the banking sector could get into crisis. That was the 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 second uh, negative analysis about Hungary after the first one. So when I was asked to form a government, I, uh, have, I, I took this job with a very short consideration but with very tough determination and I made it clear I only take the job if there is more than 50% of the members of parliament sign individually a declaration that they will vote for those nine or ten measures that I propose immediately uh, to put the country back on track. And these were obviously the painful measures, not the, uh, not the nice ones. And they, I got this uh, majority, and I, I decided uh, to, uh, uh, to take on this job, um, which was a combination of uh, 
technocrats and, and uh, members from the uh, Social Democratic Party in Hungary, the Hungarian Socialist Party. And we have decided to have a one-year crisis management program before normal elections come in May, or June, April or May next year. Um, and uh, this crisis management program was front-loaded. We immediately had to send a very strong and clear message that we understand uh, this crisis and we are doing our homework. So we have, in the first 100 days of, of this new government, since April this year, we have enacted three major packages of reforms. A pension reform, which have been kept postponing for 12 years in Hungary, and without which the Hungarian pension system would have been unsustainable. Now it is sustainable, certainly for the next 40 years. Uh, we have increased the retirement age from 62 to 65 in quick steps. Uh, we, we have eliminated certain benefits uh, in, in Hungary in the pension system. We have changed the social system to be more uh, motivating to, for people to go to work uh, instead of staying at home. Uh, because our employment ratio is around 57%, which is one of the lowest in Europe, and that's causing the problems that I've mentioned at the beginning. And uh, the third reform that we have introduced was a tax reform, reducing labor-related taxes, both on the employer and the employee side, uh, side significantly. The tax wedge, I'm sure you know what it is, it's the difference between the net salary of someone and the total cost of employment. So the tax wedge was reduced by eight percentage points from this year to next year, from being the second largest tax burden, labor tax burden in Europe, it was reduced to lower medium in Europe, in European comparison. We, did, we achieved this by shifting labor, taxes from labor uh, over to property and consumption. We have increased the value added tax and we have introduced a new property tax in Hungary. So these three fundamental steps have been enacted in the first 100 days of this government. And uh, with additional measures, we have managed to restore equilibrium in the economy. As a result of that, Hungary will have a budget deficit of 3.9% this year, lower portion of the European countries, and 3.8% next year, which will be one of the lowest in Europe next year, because the European average deficit will be beyond 7% next year. Um, with these steps, uh, much sooner than I originally expected, uh, financial confidence started to recover towards Hungary. Obviously, the, the most important imminent thing was uh, uh, an appreciation of the Hungarian currency because of the problems of those retail loans that I've mentioned before. The Hungarian forint has appreciated some 12 to 14 percent uh, to the euro uh, during this period and is now quite stable for the last two, two, and, two and a half months. What is, this was all achieved in the middle of uh, an improving international global financial environment, I have to add that, because I didn't expect so quick results when we started uh, this program. This was helped by the easing conditions. But obviously, without doing this job, uh, we, would have, we would have not been able to, be, to get lucky. What is a better measure of the, improved comp the enhanced confidence is, uh, is the famous or sometimes infamous CDS spreads. The, uh, uh, country default swaps, 
uh, uh, spread, um, which uh, have been reduced from 630 basis points in March this year to roughly 200 basis points today. So one third of what they used to be. This is the risk assessment and how it shrinked towards Hungary. Um, that also meant that in July we were able to return to the financial market um, and initiate a eurobond issue, which was six times oversubscribed. And uh, we now are able to fund ourselves with a significantly reduced external funding need because of the equilibrium program, the austerity program. We are able to fund ourselves fully from the market. While we still have the IMF and European Commission program alive, and we were even even to, able to extend that program until October next year, so that there is a buffer zone in case things turn sour again in the global economy. But we don't need the money at the moment. The austerity package that Hungary is putting through this year and next year combined means a 5% of GDP sized cut. In, our, in the cost side of our budget. So in two years, we are cutting back 5% of GDP. This is quite exceptional in European uh, economic history recently. Uh, the size, and also this is, I'm not a, a politician in the classic sense, but uh, this is very, I have to tell you, this is very painful for the Hungarian population. But uh, in, in the first speech that I had, I made it clear, this will hurt everyone, but I would like a country which, again, after a long time, is not split by different interest groups, but I would like to reestablish a country which is laughing and crying together in good times and bad times. Because that means, solidarity means that it's easier to accept sacrifice uh, by everyone. Now, restoring equilibrium uh, was the, the first step to restore confidence. Confidence has helped to strengthen the currency. A strengthening currency and the fiscal discipline and low inflation rates has allowed the National Bank to reduce extremely high interest rates in Hungary. Uh, increased inf interest rates, together with a hope, much, very much hoped recovery in our export markets, uh, would lead to growth again in the economy and growth should bring back employment sometimes next year uh, after a heavy loss of employment this year. This is the lo sequence uh, of logic that we are trying to follow here. I'm sure in this university you often hear this quote that economics is the art of choosing the least bad solution. And this is exactly what we had to do because obviously a severe austerity program was had a pro-cyclical pro uh, impact. That has meant that Hungary has short-term worsened the recession because domestic consumption fell out. But Hungary's GDP is, is driven by exports. 80% of our GDP is coming from exports. So there's no point in trying to create sustainable growth by stimulating uh, domestic demand, especially when you have to cut back otherwise on your budget deficit. So instead of stimulating domestic demand, we took this sacrifice in order to restore growth potential long term. It's not enough for us to restore equilibrium. We have to improve the growth potential. Hungary has to grow at least 2% above the European average growth rate, long term sustainable. Without that, we would not be able to grow out of our indebtedness. And without that, 
we would not be able to learn the lesson from this crisis. Because with a 2% extra growth, Hungary can tangibly, visibly grow, for, uh, ac uh, access and converge to Europe year by year. And that would, should provide a feeling of success for the society. And that should convince them that Hungary is on the right track when it pursues growth strategy instead of a redistribution strategy that was so characteristic before. So that is why with, with the tax measures in the middle of the crisis, we also wanted to send a clear message not only to financial investors, but foreign direct investors, where Hungary used to be very successful in the past, that uh, we understood another message of this crisis. Very, many politicians think in Europe that uh, after the crisis is over, those jobs will be coming back which were lost. But it is not carved in stone that those jobs will go back to the same country where they were lost. Those jobs will go back to those countries who have done in the middle of the crisis what is necessary to attract jobs after the crisis. That is why we had to take tough measures, not only for the equilibrium program, but also for uh, stimulating our growth potential. Now there is a wide international analyst consensus that Hungary will be able to grow around from 2011 onwards uh, between 3 and 4 percent per annum on a sustainable growth rate. That is good, but not good enough. It is my conviction that next governments will need to continue with improving the competitiveness of the country, uh, and they have a lot to do there. They need to cut further taxes, they need to improve, uh, uh, introduce further structural reforms in higher education, because we need those skilled workforce in the future, in uh, municipality, state administration, and many other aspects. But uh, there is one other reason why uh, we have uh, chosen this strategy uh, in Hungary to try and come off, uh, uh, to, to return from indebtedness and uh, have a very strict austerity program. I think that this global crisis is already bearing uh, in itself the roots of, an, of the next potential crisis. Because the next potential crisis will be coming from the fact that most major economies in the world are amassing huge budget deficits and uh, as a consequence huge indebtedness. Hungary was one of the most indebted countries two years ago with 70% of uh, indebtedness in Europe. By the end of this year, we will be below European average with 80%. So if this is the case, then what we should be prepared for that in the coming years, these huge budget deficits in the United States, in the UK, in, in Germany, and France will need to be refinanced. Th that means that smaller economies more vulnerable economies and also corporations will be crowded out from the financial market to a large extent by those budget deficits as long as they are not cut back. So while I consider it to be necessary and good that the stimulus programs in Europe and in, in the US are going ahead, I think it's inevitable. We also need to prepare for the next stage of this crisis. A lot will depend on the timing and the global level of coordination of exit strategies. I think it will be too early now. But if we don't get it right, and this would be unprecedented in economic history that we get it right on a global level, uh, 
because of missing coordination, and that's why the G20 is a very important phenomenon, for example. But uh, if you don't get it right, the next crisis is looming. And a, a small open economy like Hungary has to give up uh, or, and come off from the negative addiction to the drug of uh, uh, indebtedness and be much less dependent on external financing in order to be able to pursue a sustainable uh, growth policy. So this is the underlying logic uh, behind what we are trying to do. We are at Parliament with a budget of 3.8% next year. We are st still pursuing many other crisis management steps, and we are trying to keep the employment system and the, and the network of small and medium-sized enterprises together, because if you let it washed away by the tsunami, it will take 10 to 15 years to rebuild. Just think of England in the northern, north of England, where employment systems have fell, fallen apart for at least two decades after the steel industry uh, went out of operation. So this is what we are trying to do. Um, now, obviously, this crisis has other uh, impacts uh, on the world, and we need to prepare for that. We need to prevent a social crisis. Because uh, there was a historian who said once, it is revolutions are not made by those who are poor, but by those by those who get disappointed. And the risk of this crisis is that those lower middle classes who, who climbed up the ladder during the last decades of wealth and prosperity, if they fall back, then social instability may be a big problem for, for the world. I'm not talking now about Hungary in particular, but the whole emerging market area or areas of the world uh, where this was a phenomenon, this climb up was a phenomenon during the last decade. So social responsibility is extremely high for government uh, these years. There are two other aspects that we have to prepare ourselves for if we look into the global developments after the crisis. One, that such crisis situations, and we have seen it back in the 1930s, are always giving root for nationalism, protectionism, and then uh, extreme chauvinism. That's a serious risk. Uh, we have seen it in the 1930s, and we have seen where it has led Europe and the world. So we have to do everything to stop protectionism and nationalism to grow out of proportion. Um, this is a real risk. We, we are seeing signs of that, and politicians in, a, in many countries are often uh, attracted to use the easy way and not talk about how you deal with the crisis and how you make painful measures, but instead return to nationalist uh, vocabularies and try to provide a curtain uh, in front of the crisis by other uh, populist policies. That is a serious risk for the world. And the fourth global phenomenon that we need to keep in mind is uh, a risk that comes from the fact that countries long-term cannot separate their international or regional influence from their economic performance. So if the major economies uh, cannot recover from this crisis within a visible future, then there may be a serious shift in the global balance of power. Uh, certain signs of that are already visible, and some of them are very welcome developments, <coughs> like I mentioned the G20, or the enhanced role of certain emerging economies in the world, but, uh, but this, this also could uncover risks that uh, we need to think about a lot and, uh, and try to prevent. 
ourselves from. Um, these are the big issues that we are facing now. These are not easy times. But uh, for my country, for Hungary, my ambition is to come out of this crisis stronger than we went into this crisis before. And if there is one clear message that we all need to learn from this crisis is, uh, is something that Charles Darwin referred to before his, uh, his time, some, some 200 years ago. He said once, it is not those species who survive who are the strongest, nor the most intelligent, but the ones who are most adept to change. This is the lesson from this crisis for Hungary and for the world. Thank you very much for listening. Well, thank you very much, Prime Minister, for that <coughs> very wide-ranging speech, but also very specific about what was going on in Hungary. I have to say the question I'd really like to know the answer to is when you told Gordon Brown that you were reducing your deficit to 3.8% of GDP, um, <laughs> what he said. But I think that's probably uh, part of a private conversation, so I won't ask that question. Instead, okay. uh, I will uh, throw it uh, open to the floor. There are people with microphones who are coming uh, up and down, so who would like to kick off? Yeah, uh, woman in the fourth row right in the middle with a sort of red-ish, yeah, that's it. If you could give your name and question, that'd be great. Okay, my name is here in England, Agnes Kori, in Budapest is Kori Agnes. There is a political program here every Thursday night on BBC One. It's called Question Time. And a few months ago, uh, I think it was a Conservative MP complained that England is in such a dreadful economical situation that it's worse off than Hungary. And uh, he mentioned as an example that he could get very few foreigns for his sterling. Now, I looked at the exchange rate yesterday, and it's really grim. You can get very little foreign for uh, the sterling. So I'm wondering, um, which country is now in a worse situation, England or Hungary? <laughs> and another question is that the austerity program, which you mentioned, is it possible that it may drive a lot of Hungarians to the right? which would be extremely worrying because the right in Hungary is more unpalatable than anywhere else in the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we'll take two or three questions. Was someone be direct? Yes, uh, one behind, three rows behind, long hair. Yeah, that's the one. Um, could you please tell us about the proposal of the National uh, Hungarian Bank to regulate the ratio of the value of assets and mortgages? How likely is that this legislation would be pushed through, and should not market forces replace how much banks um, can lend and not the government? And uh, my name is Orsia Deag. Thank you. And then we'll take one right on the front row uh, here, and then I'll ask the Prime Minister to respond. My name is Christoph von Lutitz, and if I understood you correctly, you said that 80% of GDP is exports 
I assume a large part of that is agricultural products. Oh, good, I'm wrong. <laughs> and, and, and my question really is, how do you see that the, the, the pattern of exports and the content of agricultural other products changing in the next 10 years, and what is your government doing to perhaps make it more up-to-date to world demand? Thank you. Um, thank you for these questions. Um, let me answer your question first on Gordon Brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would like to be fair to Gordon Brown. I consider him to be uh, one of the, the world leaders today. And I, I consider that what he has done was very responsible and very leading in, in managing this crisis at the beginning. I think we should be fair in this. And uh, uh, what we are doing in Hungary cannot be compared to what he, what, uh, he is doing in the UK. Because, uh, first of all, I have to be self-critical. What, what, what I'm doing in Hungary is making virtue out of necessity. Hungary had no way to increase its budget deficit other than falling off the, the edge of the cliff. Whereas uh, I think what Gordon Brown and also President Obama is doing uh, with the stimulus programs is trying to keep their countries together, the employment systems, the uh, economic systems, and uh, they, they want to limit the damage of this crisis by what they are doing. The question is, how long can you do that? At what cost? And when is the time for it to exit? And uh, because we have 80% of our GDP coming from exports, I can lean back and say, OK, guys, do these stimulus programs, and we will sell the goods to you. So it would be unfair to compare our policies to, to major economies in the world. Um, but certainly, as I've said, they are choosing the least bad solution, but every solution is bad in a crisis. And uh, it will have long-term consequences for the US, for UK, France, even Germany, who is the most uh, conservative in this respect. Uh, and uh, and I, uh, if you ask me whether there is a time for exit, no, because uh, I think the crisis is not over until uh, not the fat lady sings, but until, until uh, uh, employment starts to grow. Because what we have today in a, is a positive mood. is partly fueled by an inventory cycle, uh, partly a huge liquidity in, in, in global uh, investment, and only part a real recovery. And uh, so I think only when employment starts to grow and then therefore consumption becomes stable and growing, then can we say that the crisis is over. And it will be very tricky to find the right date to, to, to start the exit strategies. Now, uh, answering the second question, uh, uh, which country is in worse position? I think uh, everybody is in a bad position. Hungary was certainly a much worse position in uh, in October last year. Uh, and uh, Hungary is still in a very <coughs> difficult uh, position. What I'm uh, describing here as a, an economic, a positive story from the economic point of view means a huge burden on the Hungarian society, which obviously correlates with the opinion polls for my government. Uh, but uh, obviously my job is not to look at the next election, but look at the next generation as uh, 
Mr. Churchill said once. Um, the, so I think Hungary, in a way, has come from behind, being behind the curve for a long time now, being ahead of the curve. And we have started to deal with this crisis early on and with, with very decisive, strong steps. Many countries in the region, where we are located, are now starting to face up to the challenges of this crisis and starting to look at it. And politics doesn't help <coughs> crisis management often, because if you have a looming election, and there is always a looming election, uh, then it's often blocking governments from taking uh, significant steps. Uh, in this respect, I think uh, in Hungary, the situation was bad enough so that we were able to go beyond this paradigm and do the necessary steps. And we still need to do a lot of necessary steps uh, to, to cover uh, the route that we have designed for ourselves. Now, um, talking about austerity measures, yes. In, uh, as I mentioned globally, it's also true for Hungary that uh, crisis always brings up uh, social tensions. And that is creating uh, social crisis. So if so there is a social crisis, then it uh, gives, gives room for <laughs> radical extremist movements. All, all countries in Central and Eastern Europe have great traditions, great in inverted commas, uh, uh, in, in uh, extremism, uh, looking back at the last 100 years, certainly. Uh, now, in this respect, uh, Hungary is no exception. But Hungary, the, the extremism in Hungary didn't start with the crisis. It started a couple of years ago because of, of a political crisis, a deep political division between the parties, which I, in my mind also caused uh, that paralysis which has blocked Hungary from performing the proper structural reforms. The same political dividedness, the iron curtain in the middle of the country, uh, has caused uh, uh, extremism to gain ground which with the crisis has just strengthened. So there is a, an extreme far-right movement who, who gained seats in, in the European Parliament, similar to the UK. Uh, and uh, also there were some proto-fascist uh, paramilitary troops set up in Hungary. Uh, my government <coughs> is stepping up very heavily against them. After the court has banned these paramilitary movements, we do not allow them to, to convene again. Police is... Uh, uh, distracting them from that. Uh, we have also managed uh, two months ago to arrest um, the murderers, the serial killers of, of Roma people in Hungary. There was a murder case killing six Roma people purely because of their, uh, their race, their, or their, their ethnicity, uh, which a sort of Ku Klux Klan type of serial killing, which Hungary has, the Hungarian police has caught with the help of the FBI and others. And uh, we are stepping up. We have prohibited uh, the infamous Rudolf Hess Memorial Walk <coughs> in Budapest, which was planned by European skinheads to have it in Budapest. We, I made it clear Budapest will not be the haven for skinheads in Europe, and we have blocked it from being convened. And we are stepping up against this. But uh, we need to go back to the roots of this and, and deal with the problems there, which should mean uh, more social cohesion, <coughs> Uh, more uh, a larger security in the country and the integration of Roma people because there is a strong ethnic uh, uh, tension in the country because of the Roma minority. And we, I've initiated programs recently on that. I won't go into details. 
but we, for Hungary, there is no sustainable long-term future without integrating the Roma into the society, into education, labor, tax payment, pension systems, everything. And we need to act on that. And each government following mine will need to act on that. Um, the legislation, maybe not every, everybody is familiar with this proposal. This proposal is on, on, on limiting uh, foreign currency uh, lending in Hungary and increasing uh, loan-to-asset ratios, uh, uh, debt coverage ratios in Hungary. So it's a recent proposal by the National Bank of Hungary. I think the National Bank uh, has the right intention with this. They want to draw the conclusions from the crisis and learn from that. Every sober country and every sober person should do that. There, once there is a crisis, the clever people learn from it. Uh, the stupid people repeat the same mistakes. Uh, so it's the right intention to do. Obviously, there has to be a, a proper discussion with the banking sector because uh, I would be concerned if we limit lending too much short term, that could hurt economic growth even more. Uh, Hungary already has a problem in, in uh, uh, do whether we have enough capacity for lending to, to uh, but uh, in, in principle, I'm, I'm, I agree with the gradual uh, strengthening of banking regulation and, and supervision, and we are subge suggesting legislation ourselves to the parliament in the coming week uh, to strengthen the, uh, the role of the Hungarian Banking Supervision Authority in line with European tendencies. Um, right. As Hungary's exports add up to 80% of GDP, but agriculture plays a very li limited role in that. Roughly 4% of our GDP is coming from agriculture, 4 or 5%. Four. My colleague is showing the number. So <laughs> that is a very limited impact. Uh, uh, that's, that's not of exports, but of total GDP, the 4%. And uh, the employment ratio is also roughly 4 or 5%, 3%. Uh, which is in the agriculture. Uh, it's like in, in the theater, you have people who tell yeah, you. Yeah. Props, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, now, that means that uh, agriculture is not decisive. Hungary's export, and it's probably it's not very well known, is mainly of high-tech goods, automotive sector. But most of the blackberries that you have are produced in Hungary, Nokia's, uh, or pharmaceuticals, uh, famous brands like Gedeon Richter and uh, uh, Kinoin and other famous 100-year-old companies uh, in Hungary who have major external market share. Uh, we, are, we have uh, huge uh, production of IT and electronic goods. Hungary is a recent success story in uh, regional service centers. Uh, there are 25,000 people working in Hungary in, 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 ser ser in service centers for multinational companies who are serving the globe from Hungary because of the language skills, because of the, the skilled workforce. Uh, so co companies like BP or uh, Morgan Stanley have their mathematical arithmetic calculation service center in, in, in Budapest, which is a very highly skilled uh, workforce, as you can imagine, and many other things. Uh, the Hungarian government has adopted strategies for that. We are using, we do have a stimulus program, uh, going back to your initial question, but our stimulus program is financed by the European Union structure and cohesion funds. 
So we are performing similar strategies than here, more limited because the use of those funds is limited. But we are stimulating the economy. We have introduced a program which is uh, supporting clusters, the clusterization of the Hungarian industry. We have now 15 accredited clusters in different industrial segments. We have, and the Hungarian government has identified uh, four sectors that are, uh, are key for our future, and we have accepted strategies there in consultation with market players. The automotive sector, the drugs and biochemical se biotech sector, the IT and electronics sector, and the logistical sector. Because logistics, in logistics, Hungary has great competitive advantages. We have five trans-European routes crossing each other in Hungary. And uh, last year, Cushman and Bakefields produced a report which said Hungary is the third most attractive logistical location, investment location in Europe after Belgium and Netherlands. And we don't have a C, uh, or only a small one, an in <laughs> internal. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so I think Hungary is a very attractive uh, investment proposition, but with the reduction in taxes that I've mentioned, uh, the in investment into our infrastructure, which is already the most developed in the region, uh, the investment into higher education, so some of you may come and do PhDs in Budapest, uh, and, uh, and the investment in, in uh, and, and the continued structural reforms are the proof of Hungary will be able to improve its exports in the high-tech sectors as it has started very successfully during the last 15 years. Thank you. Now, I'm afraid we're running rather short of time, so let me finish with one question, because you've managed to get all the way through till 10 to 1, 10 to 2, without mentioning the E-word of the euro. <laughs> um, and in theory, as I understand it, Hungary is supposed to be tracking towards Euro membership in 2014, but what is your view now on a realistic timescale given the crisis and the financial disruption that's caused for Hungary's membership of the single currency? Yes. I have a very straightforward opinion on, on Euro introduction. I think the lesson of this crisis and also previous times that Hungary needs the Euro ASAP. Uh, we need it ASAP because uh, uh, the crisis has shown that gives us extra security. It's a more calculable framework for investors. And it, it would also give more discipline to governments, future governments of Hungary, to pursue those policies which are keeping the country on track. Now, in order to meet, to, to get, to introduce the euro, we need to, de to meet the famous Maastricht criteria. Uh, JP Morgan has published a report two weeks ago which says Hungary may be the first to introduce the euro from among Poland, the Czech Republic, and, uh, and Hungary because of the current policies that this government has started to pursue. Because with 3.8% um, budget deficit next year, our cyclically adjusted structural uh, surplus, i.e. not taking into account the, the cyclical crisis, would be 6% surplus, which would be a world record. That should mean that as soon as there is some recovery in the economy, our, 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 we will immediately meet the Maastricht criteria on budget deficit. Also, because of the reduced uh, need of external financing and the increased uh, growth rate, Hungary will be able to turn around in indebtedness from the middle of next year and get on a declining path in, the, in that levels. Uh, 
Uh, inflationary pressures are non-existent at the moment. There was only a temporary one-off inflation increase because of the VAT hike, but that's something mm -hmm. you look through. So all in all, Hungary is en route to meet the Maastricht criteria soon. Now, there is no set date for, for the, uh, uh, the euro introduction. I, I would not want to announce any date until uh, financial confidence is solid and uh, we are uh, properly on track because many dates have been introduced in the past by different governments and they have never been met. Uh, and credibility is key. Um, now, I have to also give a footnote uh, to my ASAP <coughs> statement. Uh, Hungary does need the euro ASAP, but before ASAP comes to Hungary, we need to do everything to be much more competitive than today. Because introducing the euro and not being competitive enough can have long-term negative impact on the country's uh, ability to grow. It, this mistake has been committed by some econ economists in Europe, and they are suffering. Because it's not good to be safe, but stagnating. So we need to continue with strong structural reforms, reducing taxes, changing the systems in Hungary, even faster than the introduction, introduction of the euro. That is uh, the policy uh, that I would consider to be desirable for Hungary. This is the common sense policy. And as long as I'm in power, which is not for very long, I will continue this strategy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Dora Pachabai from the Hungarian Society to give a vote of thanks. But before then, just a modest suggestion that you and your namesake, Gordon, in number 10, are both doing necessary things to turn your economies around, and you're getting the inevitable consequences of unpopularity in the opinion polls. Maybe you should just do a swap, um, and you could lead the Labour Party here. Um, start with a clean slate. Uh, I, think, I think this could uh, be an idea whose time has come. Dora. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my privilege to have been asked to propose a vote of thanks to the Prime Minister of Hungary on this occasion. On behalf of the Hungarian students of the LSE and all who have attended this lecture, I would like to say thank you to Mr. Gordon Bainai for his thought-provoking lecture on the Hungarian approach to the crisis management. In light of the economic and political difficulties that Central and Eastern European countries have been facing, his lecture has been of great interest to all of us. It has been an honor to welcome you at the London School of Economics, Mr. Prime Minister. We are especially delighted that holders of such distinguished offices as the head of government could share their views and thoughts with us in a public lecture. We sincerely hope that this occasion has been an important step towards a long-lasting relationship between the LSE and other acknowledged Hungarian guests in the future. Thank you very much, Mr. Prime Minister. Thank you. Thank you.